Hi, I'm Sherry Fella, the founder of Bloombase. And I'm Allison Lochran, partner at Bloombase. Welcome to the Power 2 podcast. On this podcast, we explore power from a feminine perspective, how it shows up in and with people from diverse experiences. We want to explore how, when, and why humans feel powerful, and when they don't, how to get there. Power 2 is personal power, the ability to choose our own states and behaviors. Our intent with this conversation isn't just to have an intriguing conversation. Our intent is to have an impactful one, one that opens up possibility and may even change behaviors. Welcome to Power 2. Welcome back to the Power 2 podcast. It's, it's been several months since we've been here with you. And the reason for that is Alice and I have been really intentional about how we wanted to move forward with this podcast. And given the state of the current climate here in the country and really throughout the world, we really wanted to be really intentional and have some impact in a space that's really important to us. And that's the space of of equity and inclusion. And so we began really crafting and creating the plan for the Fight Forward series last fall. We've been getting ready to launch it uh, in February and March, February being Black History Month and March being Women's History Month. We felt that was a powerful time in the year and really would give us the space, time and energy to be thoughtful about what we wanted to talk about and who we wanted to talk about it with, which I'm so pleased to talk about our guests in just a minute. And that we really wanted to have impact here. We wanted to really have impact in how people think, how they feel, and how could we really get them to connect to their hearts, the passion in their hearts, and how could that then translate into action eventually that would really help us all create a future for everybody to reach their potential. So that's why we're here and why we've been quiet for a few months. And this is really important to us. It's important to me as a founder. It's important to Alice and I and our team and all the leaders we serve. And all the leaders we serve are in seats of power. And that's why it's important as a human on this planet who wants equity for all of us. And all of our client partners want that. Our whole team wants that. And certainly our guests today want that. So this series is a gift, uh, really, to us as white women in particular. And honestly, it's, for me, one of the scariest things I've ever done because I know I won't get it right. And I'm letting go of that. And, and that's why we're doing the podcast, to learn. So we fully expect that in this series, Allison and I and Nitri and Dr. Vanessa, all four of us, we're going to be messy. And from that mess, we're going to learn and grow. That's our intention. We're not trying to get things right. We're trying to get things on the table so we can all decide how we can move forward together. So we're going to be exploring a lot of topics, systems, and contexts, and we're going to explore how our own personal lived experiences have been both different and the same, and how that experience can teach us and help us all grow together to create that more inclusive future that we all want. I find it really humbling and inspiring to have our guests with us. And the first guest, uh, Anitria Faith Bailey, who will introduce herself in just a moment, and her mother, Dr. Vanessa McLeod, are our guests. And Dr. Vanessa will introduce herself in just a moment. But them joining us in this series, I'm just so grateful for. The amount of impact that they both have already had on me, 
my life, our team is, is just too wide and deep to even explain. And I'm just so glad they're here with us today. And that together, we're going to be exploring that future of inclusivity and equity that allows all of us to pursue and reach our potential. And I'm really in particularly uh, interested in exploring how do we as white women advocate, support, and partner with women of color? How do we create that united front of change that includes, includes all parts of intersectionality from race to sexual orientation to gender identity to all of it? How can we all explore our own bias and blind spot and most importantly, explore all our connected hearts so that we can be committed to, to learning and growing, not blaming, not finding fault, but fighting forward. So this is an insight journey we're about to go on together. We hope you listen to the whole series. We're going to have other folks join us along the way. And that we just go on this powerful, scary, important journey together. And you'll see in just a moment when you listen to the podcast that Dr. Vanessa and Anitra jump right in and take off. <laughs> and we hope you'll join us in the months ahead and that our collective learning will result in power to fight forward. The only way to change is to begin. So here we go. So let's begin with some introductions. Anitra, you want to start? I am Anitria Faith Bailey. Um, I always like to say my full name because I believe it's beautiful. And, you know, I believe that people should call me what I am. And faith is a word that resonates with me. It's a very strong, powerful word because I've had to have a lot of faith in uh, very difficult circumstances in my life. Um, I'm born and raised in Gary, Indiana by my mother, Vanessa, who was a single mother. And, you know, I was not raised or knew my father intimately. He was never raised in the house with me, um, very distant uh, over the years. So it was just mom and me and my sister went to Emerson School for the Visual Performing Arts, Indiana Academy at the Ball State University for the last two years of my high school education, eventually graduated from Purdue University at IEPUI with my degree, my bachelor's in science. I currently work at Rolls-Royce Corporation, where I've been for 14 years now. As a millennial, that is really hard to believe. Yeah. Same company for 14 years, starting off as a junior in college, working my way up. But I've had phenomenal experiences being able to navigate different roles within the company. What has brought me here? Mostly. Wait, wait, wait. I have questions. (laughs) Okay, you're at Rolls-Royce. You're also a mom, yes? Yes. You're also a business owner, yes? Yes. What is your business? Green District Salad. So we opened Green District Salads. It's a salad shop in Plainfield, Indiana. We opened up July 31st, 2020, during the pandemic. A little crazy. Wow. Awesome. <laughs> yes, I am married of 10 years with three beautiful children. Uh, Wise is nine. Abel is six and Faith, my namesake, is five. And so I definitely have a busy, busy life. You do. Work, this work is important to me and always has been. So I make time. I manage my schedule. (laughs) And that, we'll talk about that in a minute, right, Nature, how we got here. But in your, yeah, you have to mention your family. They're so beautiful. And Dr. Vanessa, can you give us, just give our audience some insight into you? Yes, thank you so much for having me. Uh, Vanessa Allen McLeod graduated from high school in 1977, 
decided I was too grown at 17 to go to college. So I took the scenic route. Um, I entered uh, college in, uh, when I was around 26 years old. I had two children at the time. I was hired at Purdue University and uh, Sue Panther hired me as her secretary. And that's when I started school in 1986. I'll never forget that. So I worked full-time, went to school part-time. So maybe around age 30, I earned my associates, 35, closer to 40, my bachelor's, master's came. I'm trying not to tell my age. And then even though I already told you my age. Oh, you did already. <laughs> and all of that time, I definitely was working full-time and um, taking care of two children as a single parent. We moved from one house on the east side of Gary that was very small. Uh, there was a lot of um, trafficking and drugs and some other things that were going on in that community. And I decided to move to another, another house. I was renting this house and I wanted to purchase a house. I went through several uh, realtors who said, you are single, you are black, and you are divorced and you have two children and you know you you may not be able to get this loan well you are dismissed from my presence and i kept moving forward until i found a house in the miller section of gary my credit wasn't too good you know i, I figured that i had just maxed out some credit cards i didn't pay some things but miraculously when the realtor checked my credit it was just like a $40 bill that I hadn't paid. So I don't know how that happened. All I can say, it was God. And that house was right next to the church that we were attending. Very nice, three-bedroom, full basement, a backyard, the fence, the whole nine yards. So purchased that house, and I continued on and earned my doctorate in 2013. And my doctorate is in educational leadership. I'm Sherry Fella, and I'm going to use the phrase, you are now dismissed from my presence as often as possible. <laughs> I and personally can probably not even pull that I, off. I, I, I can't. I can't even say that without trying to imitate Dr. Vanessa, which is impossible. And I just also have to say, even though we're just having the great honor of getting to know you, Dr. Vanessa, I feel like Alice and I are going to start a fan club for Sue Panther, just from the few stories. <laughs> she is still my, my shero. I will forever in any setting, uh, acknowledge her and just remind people that it doesn't matter the color of your skin, it matters the passion in your heart. And that's what she had. She had passion in her heart and she met me where I was at a time that I was vulnerable, at a time where I was trying to figure out where I was going with two babies, uh, ex-husband who wasn't paying child support, my mother was deceased. I had a stepfather that was just kind of cranky. You know, I'm just going to use that word. Um, but every day I would have to go over and try to bring food and grocery for him, pick up the heat. So it was a lot going on. But so Sue Panther will always be uh, someone that I acknowledge in my, in my conversations. You know, as I'm, I'm listening to you and Nitra and Dr. Vanessa talk about some of the things you've gone through as you grow up, it's, it's, it's making me reflect on my own and I'm feeling like it's, it's important for me and Allison to also share just a tad bit about our background. So for me, I grew up on a 
a small dot in the map called Lamar next to Santa Claus, Indiana, another small town on the map. And in my Southern Indiana childhood, which was blessed, I'm so grateful for it. It was very white. It was exclusively white. It wasn't full of diversity. It's full of tons of love and support and great values like hard work and loyalty and kindness and many things that have made me who I am today. And it was very different than what I hear you describing. And in my rural America upbringing, I also went to public school. My public school is fantastic. And not just that the lab would work in Nutria and, and we had books and a library. I had everything I needed. And I actually had so much that I needed and was so well prepared that I felt like the first year or two of college was easy because of my public education preparation. So while I got to go to college because I played sports, thankfully I had told her brothers that was my gateway into first-generation college student. I had a guidance counselor who helped me. I had, I just, I had the system I needed to even take advantage of that opportunity and many, many kids did not. So I graduated from Heritage Hills High School in Lincoln City, Indiana in 1986, since Dr. Vanessa shared when she graduated, I will. And then I went to Ohio and Bowling Green State. That was the first time I was ever immersed in any level of diversity ever in my life. It's very shocking to me, not in a bad way, just shocking in quite a good way, actually. And then I got my master's at IU. So Al, I would love to hear a bit about your background too, just so we can level set here. Sure. So I grew up in mid-central Indiana in a small town of about 15,000 people. And again, not a ton of diversity in town. I think there was like maybe one or two black kids in the whole high school. My dad was a doctor. My mom was a nurse. So I grew up in uh, what I now know is extreme privilege and that was just sort of the, that was my day-to-day life. And, you know, I went to school in Logansport and I went to Butler for university for undergrad, but we did have foster kids that my parents took care of throughout my childhood. But most notably, my younger sister came to us through, we have this very conglomerated family. It's like a big Venn diagram my older sister and younger sister both adopted and, and she was mixed. So our family was diverse in that way, in a way that we never saw. But now as I unpack the stuff with my sister, who Nitria knows, I was completely unaware of what was happening for her in this small town. And sort of, I would say, I would guess that she would describe it this way, almost kind of uninterested in learning why it was different or incapable of understanding that. Like you live in this house, our family, like what, what's the big deal? Which just actually like my neck gets red just thinking about it. It's so shameful to even admit that now. And so through lots of hard conversations as adults in the, in recent days, still unpacking that it's been striking how different our experiences were even under the same roof in the same city. Yeah. So, so given all these contrasts, so I need to read just one more piece of background. You and I met because you went through our women's leadership experience. Thank goodness. Um, thank right. goodness. 
Yes. And then why don't you pick it up from there about how we got to these spaces and what brought us to the podcast today. And then we'll start off with some questions for you and Dr. Vanessa. Yeah, so I went through the Advanced Women uh, Leadership Program with uh, Bloombase. Uh, Rose Race was gracious enough to sponsor me. And it was at a time in my life where I was needing to redefine, reinvent myself. I had lost, I was detached from my identities, the things that at first made me me or defined me and all of them kind of fell apart and I needed something to help me redefine who I really am, my authentic self and AWL is what we call it, was the perfect program to help me navigate that journey and get through. Um, but through that journey, I was probably the only, I was the only Black person in the group. <laughs> And so you, being my authentic self, I would raise things from a Black woman's experience in, in that setting, um, which was like, what? <laughs> I never knew that. Um, and so through those relationships, we just became acquainted. And of course, I am always looking to pursue my coaching career. And so reaching out to Sherry, we just were able to establish a connection um, while she further helped me on that journey to get to my coaching career. But then the events of 2020 happened from Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd. And that was the first time in my Black life where I felt like the weight of the world was crushing me. And you know, panicking about that could have been my husband or son running through the neighborhood, you know, minding their own business. That could have been my daughter sleeping in her apartment, you know? And so for the first time as a Black person, as a mom, it hit me that could have been us, that could have been me. And, you know, we saw a modern day lynching on TV, on video, so it just hit differently for me. And at first I felt so weighed down and unable to paralyze, if you will, emotionally paralyzed and not knowing what to do. Like, what can I do to change this? Like literally, like how can me, one person, change this and make this world better for, for my husband, for my children, for my future children to come, for my family and friends? So I just set out that day, the, the, the next days, every leader that I came into touch with, I've just expressed all of me and what I was going through at that time. I mean, from executive leaders at Rolls-Royce to VPs, and then eventually to Sherry, you know, just, this, is, this is my truth. This is how I'm experiencing this. Um, and so through that, we were able to, I, I, you know, allow Sherry to ask, you know, seemingly naive questions, but legit questions that she did not have the answers to. Then I'm like, well, let me tell you, <laughs> let me tell you, this is how it is. This is how we feel. We are angry. We want to tear and burn some shit up. That's what we want to do right now, because all these years and this is still happening to us, we are being massacred. You know, and so through that, Sherry, you know, I, I was like, you know, talking to different women and the idea came up. What if we created a, a group of women, specifically white women, to educate them on the black experience, to 
allow them an opportunity to understand their power and influence in this racial system that is set up against Black people. And not only that, but the power and influence they have to change that. You know, it's it's not a joking matter, but the Ku Klux Klan didn't saw all them outfits by themselves. Right. Somebody made them. Wives and sisters knew where their husbands were going. It wasn't a secret. So there was power of women behind those organizations. And there needs to be power of women to help change the system that is set up. So we started a group called Triple A. Acknowledgement, awareness, acknowledgement, and acceptance. Um, basically transitioning to you are aware of what's going on and eventually you acknowledge your role in the system that has been set up against Blacks and minorities. And then eventually you you set a vision for yourself and actions where you act upon that to either improve yourself, do inner work, external work with family and friends, navigate and use your influence in your communities, in your jobs and careers. And so we've since had we, we're on our second cohort that we're bringing through AWL alumni at Rolls-Royce who volunteered on their personal time to be a part of these sessions to become more aware. And so the part about fighting for it was, you know, I was talking to my husband and I, again, I was just expressing exasperation with not knowing what to do. And, you know, we heard a church sermon and our pastor was like, we have to continue to fight for it. And that's what my husband had reminded me of. He's like, we got it. You got to fight for it. Baby. When you fall and if it kills you, at least you'll fall six feet forward. And you have, you will have made a difference. And so I am using all the energy and breath that I have left to be a part of change, to educate women, to help them understand the power that they hold that they can help change these systems and so we can move forward together. So a lot so, to say. <laughs> I, I want to come back to AAA, but I want to first hear from Dr. Vanessa and then Allison, this Fight Forward series we're going to do here as a podcast. What, why was it important to you, Dr. Vanessa, and, and what, what do you want us to kind of stay focused on? I know there are many things, but what's kind of that overarching headline? And then I'd love to hear from you too, Allison. It's so many things to talk about, just being a woman and all of the things that we have to do as women, all of the cycles that we go through emotionally and physically. You know, we have the children, we have to work, we have to cook, we have to pay the bills, we have to watch the children, we have to train the children, and then we have to go into a workforce sometimes that is not accepting of who we are. Uh, Sometimes we can't even sit at the table because we have to always show ourselves or prove who we are. You know, I I used to tell Anitri and Joy, you're going to sit at the front of the room, not the back of the room. You know, if you get depressed, if you uh, get upset, you have three minutes, three minutes to regroup yourself. You fall out, cry, kick, scream, then you have to get up and move forward. So I think the focus is just trying to share with women that we basically all want the same things. We want our children to uh, succeed. We want to live in a a comfortable setting. And we don't want to be judged by the color of our skin. We really want to be 
uh, unified with everyone. And we want white women to understand that your privilege is just automatic. Your privilege is automatic and it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's nothing to feel like you have to hold it all on your shoulders. We have to talk about that privilege because really your privilege can help change this world. Powerful. Oh my gosh. I have to listen to this over and over again myself. Allison, what about for you? So this sort of started to come to f- into focus for me. It first started to trouble me what was happening with white women, such as myself, when the, not the most recent administration was voted in, but the one prior to it. And there was a, I heard a statistic that like 54% of white women that voted, voted for uh, Donald Trump. And that scared the absolute shit out of me. I, I could not wrap my head around it. And that was sort of like kicked off. Like what, what is that about for me? Cause I was, flabbergasted. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't care what your political party is. Like, that's just terrifying. So then when in 2020, when, you know, like you said, Anitra Armad Aubrey and Beyond Taylor, George Floyd, all of that happened. Like, it was such a culmination. I, I think like everybody, maybe it's because we were stuck in front of our TVs and had to sit there and watch it because we had very little else to distract us at the time that, I don't know. I felt like something in me had had enough, which like, believe me, like it, it's taken way too long. And I remember having this conversation with my sister who's mixed and she very kindly was like, why, why now? Why not Trayvon Martin? Like that also troubled me because I didn't have a good answer for it. Mm-hmm. So that felt like an unearth that I had a lot of shit to do and a lot of things to learn and listen to. And that was, I knew that's where I had to start because I knew there was a lot of stuff that I did not know and that I needed to get educated really quickly on. Yeah, I can totally resonate for that. And for me, when I need, this is where nature has been so life-changing for me is that despite all you're holding in nature, you never looked at me and put any of it on me. You only said, you got to look at this and I'm going to help you. I'm, it's not my work to do, but if you'll do your work, I'm going to create this space and you made it real for me. Like I, I will never forget the moment that first session and you were talking about, forgive me if I don't get this exactly right. Cause I was so snapped into my own emotion about it, about how you couldn't, you couldn't be yourself in workspaces. And I said, Oh my God, that's, that's, I mean, I had my white girl response at that time. Like, oh my God, that's so awful. I mean, of course, the, I, I love you, Anitra. I wish everyone could see you. And Anitra said, you don't know me. I haven't been able to show you all of me either. And that gutted me. That made it so real for me, which was, of course, true. But I didn't know that. So those spaces that you help carve out, because when Anitra first proposed this, I mean, I don't know if you remember my response to Nitra, but I'm like, I mean, I'm terrified. I'm terrified, but if you're going to go in this cave, damn it, I'm going with you. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. In um, like every, most every white woman, which you help, you've helped me and everyone else hold, um, both of you being here today, is that of course it was scary. So what? Like being in your black skin isn't? Right. 
I mean, my fear is not even comparable to the kind of things that you're facing. So all that to say, that's what this series is for me is, is to amplify just the, the courage that the two of you continue to have. And that fuels me when I can't find it and hoping we can literally infect like a new vaccine, yeah. a new, a new pandemic, right. To all these women's hearts that, mm-hmm. you know, cause it's, you're right, Dr. Vanessa, it's going to take, it's going to take us women to band together and go, no, it's all of us. We're all moving forward. We're yeah. all going. So I'm so honored we're here and we're going to do this. And I know we're going to talk for like 3,000 hours and it's going to be great. So <laughs> it is. I know. Uh, so can we ask you both, Dr. Vanessa and then Ending Shira, what does power mean to you? You've both used that word. And every time you use it, it brings me to my attention. Like, what does power mean to, to the two of you? And then we'll kind of dive into some questions. Well, power to me, I would say, is being empowered so that I can move forward. Power to me is being able to navigate through an obscure system that sometimes does not value me, but I continue to persevere. So power to me is persevering, navigating, and believing in myself, believing that I can do this. It's power. For me, power is when a person has the influence to change the trajectory of someone else's life in their own, to be able to open doors that will otherwise be shut for people that are coming behind them, the power to create environments for all people of any ethnicity to thrive. And so power for me is, is, is really about influence, that influence that a person can hold to change someone's life. And power is also leadership. You know, you, you have to have exceptional leadership skills in order to provide opportunities for other people. I'm in a position now where I can provide scholarships to students. I'm in a position now where I can provide food cards to needy families because I have a relationship through my leadership with universities or with bankers that say, here, here's $6,000, buy some gift cards, some food cards. So, So right now I'm in a position of power so that I can help someone. It's all about improving the quality of life of people. So if I can share my story and say, this is how I made it, it is my responsibility to reach back and hold my sister's hand, whether she's black, white, Puerto Rican, Latino, it doesn't matter. It's my responsibility to help that person also. Right now, I can talk to women and I can talk to single parents because I've been there and I've done that, navigated it, did it, have some bruises, have some scars, <laughs> you know, have yeah. some pains. But but when I look back over it, I can say I made it with the help of some people around me. You know, we all need some mentors and we all need a support system. So, you know, I've had a few, although I'm an only child. So I have no sisters and no brothers. I have two God sisters and we have known each other since birth. 
and we're, we're still together, Antoinette and Melissa, you know, those are some names that, you know, Nitri will forever know as, as my sisters, but we encourage each other. I have other good girlfriends that we encourage each other, but it takes perseverance. It really does. And it takes a support system and you feel empowered once you accomplish something step by step, moment by moment. When every time I received my degree, it was on Anitra's birthday. I felt so bad. I felt so horrible. That's a whole nother story. <laughs> You're like, yeah, you did, mom. Yeah, you did. <laughs> Painful. That's what I'm saying. Those are some of those scars, you know, just to be transparent, you know, to say, although I was working hard trying to provide for my family, I lost some time there. I lost some quality time there with my children because I didn't go to school right after high school. However, I feel that I still empowered them because they watched me work and they watched me stay on the dean's list while I did go to school and they watched me accomplish these things. So if I can do it, you can do it. Yes. I feel like we need a podcast with uh, Dr. Vanessa's consciousness. <laughs> um, so as you, as I hear that, there are so many questions come to mind. You mentioned how it's our, it's our role, our responsibility to reach back to our sister. Now, I don't know about you, Allison, but I wasn't taught that. I mean, I, I eventually learned it. I was in sports. I had my girlfriends and, and guy friends still have a strong friend network. But I, I mean, since I grew up in that business sect, I was taught scarcity that there's only one seat at the table. You better get it for a woman, like that kind of stuff. So I just wonder, like, were you taught that in nature? I feel- It's a cultural thing. Most Blacks, minorities that I know, culturally, we are trained to understand that our accomplishments were built on the backs of other people. We are not taught that. Are we? No, I'm not. I was not. We wouldn't be where we are today if, uh, if it weren't for those who escaped for slavery, those who fought against slavery, those who fought for us to read, those who fought for us to go to school, to be able to vote, to get a job and work at places, you know, to be able to wear our hair however we want to wear it naturally. You know, everything that we've achieved as a Black people, we had to fight for literally and die for. And so that's history passed down through generation that you never forget where you come from. You never forget the sacrifices that people made for you. You know, when someone tells me they don't like to read, oh my gosh, I go off. Do you know what it took <laughs> for you to be able to read? You better get that book. <laughs> it's so upset because it's just ingrained in us and not to take advantage of your right to vote like that was a big year for us you know and the turnout and again you saw in the news how they tried to steal the vote away from black communities that has still is still happening to this day so we are taught never take it for granted always remember where you come from Always remember that you are stepping on someone else's back to get to where you are. Therefore, you reach back and you help someone else along. When you open that door, it's not just for you. You're not just representing Anitria. You're representing a community. So mm -hmm. and that is ingrained in us. That was not my, that is, 
I mean, my family nucleus, we were, I mean, certainly our values around loyalty and taking care of each other, certainly giving back when you have more, give more, I mean, some of those veins, but we, but what you were taught, I think is the essence of privilege that as white folks we've grown up in, we just expect it. It just caught my attention. I mean, for women, certainly we're fighting on several fronts right now, but not because of the color of my skin. That's the essence of privilege. And so hearing your story and your experience, not even your story about passing that down and the culture. And I mean, it's, it's so powerful and it actually gives me hope, <laughs> you know, that it, if we, yeah, go ahead, Dr. you know, it's Nitria will tell you every, every month, every black history month that we're in right now, this is February. Mm-hmm. It was a ritual at our house that they had to watch what they used to call, it was Eyes on the Prize. It was a a series of shows about the civil rights movement, about black history, about the marches. You know, I had them watch this because I always said, never forget where you came from. Never forget that these were pictures where they would put the water holes on the people in Birmingham. They would the dogs, the the Selma march, all of that when they, you know, hit the late uh, John Lewis over the head. Some of you have watched that. Those were the things that our people as an African-American people had to go through. They were spit on. They couldn't go in and sit down at a counter and eat. There was colored and there was white. We've always had to fight or struggle in order to be who we are. And then we'd have to make sure that our presence demonstrated that. You know, we we had to look the type. We had to, we always had to be a step ahead because there was always the issue of, I'm not going to be accepted. So you have to work harder and you have to be harder at all times, at all times. So, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, Anitra. Finish finish your thought. And that goes back to when I shared with Sherry that she really didn't know me because we are taught not to present our true selves to the world because we would not be accepted. Mm -hmm. We have to look light or damn near white. That's what the saying was. You straighten your hair. You wore, you know, you presented yourself as much as possible. You lightened up your hair. You know, you tried to lighten your skin. You know, and those are things that we were taught. So we weren't able to be ourselves. So that's kind of where part of that comes through, um, Sherry, where Black people aren't comfortable with being their authentic selves in the world because we've so long not been accepted. Our skin is a threat. Well, right. for Allison Jumpson, you even the experience you'd shared with our AAA group about going to the pumpkin patch. And you were talking about as soon as you got out of the car, you were looking around, were there any other families that looked like you? Because you were in a field in Indiana. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, hearing the bravery you had to tell those stories that are happening to you today, like that's mm-hmm. history books, which is where people want to put it. That is, mm-hmm. no, this is alive and well today. Correct. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I just, yeah. And, and, and we see the power of influence with the insurrection. We just saw that on TV, plain, simple, and clear. Because if that was a group of us, there would be a lot of it happened. It wouldn't have happened. Exactly. Because when we come out, there's armed guards. They're ready for a fight. There's like you know, just again, presence is a threat. 
But, you know, even if that were have happened, we, we would not have walked out. Right. We would not have walked out. There would have been more casualties and more arrests on that day than it is now. They're searching for people to arrest. Right. <laughs> so it's, it's a little different. But Allison, go ahead. That, well, I was going to say, let me respond to that because that that was so... That was so striking to me. And striking isn't a strong enough word. Like, I'm going to say, like, that was so disgusting. I I happened upon that happening. I came upstairs from my office and I was like, oh, there's, on the news, there looks like there's people breaking into the Capitol. And then I sort of saw it all play out in real time. And I I was thinking to myself, when are they going to start shooting people? And then I realized they weren't. And then I was enraged because to your point, if that had been a crowd of black people, of people of any color, right, thousands of people would have been dead. Correct. Without question. I was so enraged by that. The realization that that was not happening. I can't. But to, but to look at that mob, to look at all of those people who were influenced by a crazy person that's mentally challenged, look at all yeah. of those people that went in that capital to do harm. Did you see the guillotine and the noose that was? Mm-hmm. So just think, some of us work with those very people. Right, right. I can't imagine. So you always, as an African-American, Black, brown person, you always somewhat have to have your guard up and be aware because just by the color of your skin, I don't know if you are for or against me. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's actually a great lead into what I was going to ask. As you both were talking about how much a part of your experience, understanding where you came from is and reaching back to help the people behind you, because that's what the people, you know, whose backs you're standing on did for you. Mm -hmm. So how does that influence your desire to fight forward too? How does that play into, we know where we came from, we're bringing these people up and now we're going this way? I can tell you that it is a heavy load to carry, but it can be exhausting, but there's a fight in us that will not give up, that we keep going because we've not reached a point yet where we can be comfortable in this country, in this world, just existing and walking down the street or running, or sleeping in our own homes. We don't, there's not that comfort there. And I'm not sure if we'll ever reach it or when we'll reach it, but that's what we're striving for, to be able to drive in our cars and not be pulled over, to not be stopped in our own neighborhood because they don't believe we live there or can afford it. You know, to to have our resume thrown out because of the name that we bear. And so for me, it is, again, making it better for the young little Black girls that I see that are in school, that are trying, that are interested in, in STEM, who are interested in being entrepreneurs. My own daughter, my son, for me, is looking back at those faces, knowing that I have to make a difference every step of the way that I make because I'm paving the way for the next one. Because I, when I, as I move up, as I've been promoted, I don't see people that look like me. 
Mm-hmm. And so it's my mission to present myself in a way that the white people around me, my peers become comfortable with me, that they will be more comfortable and more willing to accept someone that looks like me when their time comes. You know, my teachers, my my directors, the people I work with, the, you know, even now going into the coaching program, there was only one other black girl in the entire program. And the first thing she did when we saw each other, she reached out to me. There's one of us, there's two of us. <laughs> Right. Like there's someone else that looks like me. We didn't even know each other, but it's just that recognition that we have the same background and sh- we know each other's struggle to have been in that room. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And we reached out and we've connected and become like sisters <laughs> all in a matter of days. But that's what we're looking for because we want to be able to present ourselves that the next session there will be more. So it's, it's, it's exhausting. It's a load, but it's something that we have to keep fighting for because we've not reached the goal yet. We've not achieved that comfort to just exist in our own skin. And when I talk to organizations, many of them, their board of directors are all white, all white, yet they may serve a diverse population. Right. So when I'm talking to them, I have to, you know, say, what are you doing to recruit and increase diversity at your level? You know, have you put out job descriptions or opportunities? Where have you put those opportunities? Well, they'll say, for instance, well, we send them to the Times newspaper. Well, have you thought about sending them to the local newspaper in the Black community? If you're looking for a diverse pool, why not go into the area where those diverse people are? Have you contacted the NAACP? Have you contacted the Urban League in your area? So many times you have these boards that say, oh, we want to talk about diversity. Oh, we want to be inclusive. Well, what have you done? What have you done lately to to extend that opportunity into the community so that you can bring people in. So I do hope, Anitria, that, you know, you continue with your passion as well as you, Sherry and Allison, to welcome other minorities into the group so that you can build from that. Yeah, and fight forward is, I mean, this is something you've taught me, Anitria. And so, you know, I think about what your lived experiences and what you're scared of, losing your life. Mm-hmm. All I'm scared of as a white person raising my voice and challenging people is my pride or my ego. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's what I hope, especially our, our white men and women who are listening to this, that they lean in to just a sliver of fear that isn't life impacting for them. It's pride impacting or ego impacting. And I, I hope, I mean, I'm excited for our, our next session. And I think, Dr. Vanessa, you raise a great point. And I know Anitra and Allison and I have talked about this too. We need to really explore leadership and DEI and the difference between activity and impact. Mm-hmm. And what the difference is between those two and how we have it. So I think we need to spend a whole, if you guys agree, I think we need to spend a whole episode talking about that. Probably 20. I don't know. Maybe we need 20 episodes. But, right. Yes. Um, but yeah, so it just, it strikes me as 
this is my work to do. It's not Anitria's work. Like I, that was probably my biggest concern, right? Anitria in those spaces was, I love that you were so courageous and willing to share with a bunch of white women what your reality is. But to my white women, girl, we got to pick up the baton. We got to get in the fight. We got to own our space and our seats of power and make them seats of shame. Like we have got yeah. to go. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, black women are getting exhausted. Black women are dying early with all the stress and weight of the world that they hold. When you think about the stressors and the mental health issues that, you know, plague our community, the the fact that they can't be who their authentic selves and existence at church, at work, at the grocery store, even in their own home, having to be on guard because they never know. It's just a lot of stressors that Black women are dying early. They're having issues because we, we are carrying this load and we cannot do this alone. We cannot do this alone. We can't do it alone. And for too long, our African-American men are being taken away from the family, be it they're shot, they're incarcerated. It's always something to break up that family. Mm-hmm. And we can definitely talk about that because that was designed by the system. During slavery, the goal was to break up family units so we wouldn't be strong as a collective to take away the male from the family, to split up the mother from the children. And after decades and decades, then you wonder why black men don't know how to be fathers. Not that that's any excuse, they can learn, but there's this subconscious psyche that's already been planted Mm -hmm. that families are broken and we're intentionally meant to be apart, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's a whole different conversation that we can talk about as well. Totally, Anitria. I mean, and it's happening in our current day here. It's happening at our borders. It's happening. Yes. But one thing I do believe is that women have the tenacity and we have the wherewithal to make the change. We can somewhat direct our husbands with pillow talk. (laughs) You know, we can do a whole lot of things when we come together as women. Um, you know, they, they say this, you know, behind every great man, there's a, you know, great woman by his side. She's not behind him. She is right by his side. And in many cases, he's taking direction from her. Mm-hmm. Because after all, who can do it best but women? Exactly. And we can yeah. do it. Preach it. <laughs> Yeah, that's going to be the you know, whole. You know, what, yeah, who can do it better? Just yeah. like if you go back to biblical days, when Jesus was buried, the men were somewhere pouting. It was the women, right, who went back to that tomb. That's so true. Let's get it straight, right? <laughs> I've never even thought of that. That's so true. Mm-hmm. Oh man, I I, yeah. I have a lot to unpack around. That. <laughs> I know, right? That just kind of blew my mind. So as women are listening to this today, regardless of their ethnicity, their race, their whatever, what do we want, what do we want them to, to take today? What do we want them to go do or think about or what action? I think I would suggest women become more informed. They should become more informed about the historical perspective of racism and biases so that they can understand the plight or the difficulties that not only African-Americans have gone through, 
but other ethnic races have gone through. They should do their homework. The next thing they should do is plan to take action, plan to do something different, plan to learn a little more about someone. You know, it's, it's remembering the, the presentation, the iceberg, there's the, the 10% that's on top we see, but there's a whole 90% up under that iceberg that we need to begin to talk about. So the moment you begin to take action and make a commitment, remarkable things can happen, but we have to make sure that we move and take the action. Love that, love that. Anitra, how about for you? Then I'll go to you, Al. I would say that with all that we've shared, there may be a lot of emotions around this. And I would just encourage them to be comfortable with the uncomfortable and sit in that space and let that feeling teach them. What is it trying to tell you? More of that awareness of yourself and in this space and be more inward focused on what, what it's saying to you. I would want people to find their person, find their person, whether it's a person of color or a, a, a person of the same ethnicity that they feel comfortable having these dialogues with to decompress, to share what they've learned from this series and just start a dialogue about it. You know, so do some internal reflection and find their person so they can share. Yeah. I'll, I'll, how about for you? I mean, I'm a white woman. I don't feel like I have a lot of advice to give. I feel like I have a lot of things to learn. I, I think that what, what I would say is what struck me today that I feel like as a white woman is a great takeaway. And that is that there's so much to know, like to your, both of your point, you cannot be educated enough. So to do that work and understand in all spaces at all times, asking questions, like I'm continuing to learn just sitting here listening to you. And I feel like that's, I think, I know, especially working with a lot of high-performing women like we do, our inclination is where, where do we make change? What do we do? What, how can we lead this? We don't. We sit down and listen a lot for a long time. That's where I still feel like I am. I agree. I have a lot to learn still listening. And I'm also noticing, though, I don't need a broad plan yet. I'm not educated enough, but I can find my person like Anitria. And I can, if she's going to lean into those hard spaces, she's not going to do it alone. And I can notice where I've been really passive, like in those spaces where I haven't just used my voice. I don't, I don't have to wait till I'm fully, like, will we ever be fully educated? Like I want, I almost want to say this balance, like don't take action, but also trust your instinct when you know, like I know when I've been passive, I know when I haven't said something and it wasn't right. What was happening in front of me, like those spaces, we got to really honor ourselves are moving through this. So as I said at the intro of this podcast, our hope for this fight forward power Two series is that we all do some internal exploration. We all began to open up to our power to make change here. And before we, leap into action, that we do some reflection, deep, deep listening to ourselves and those around us who have a different lived experience, and that we really begin to acknowledge and accept our own bias, our own blind spots, and our own passion in our hearts to really make change for good. So we'll see you in the next series of Power 2.
fight forward.